You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. From the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 39 through 47. So you can turn to that in your Bibles or follow along with me on the screen. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it, it is because you cannot he, bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's, father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is the word of the Lord. You can now have a seat and the kids can be dismissed to their class. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning. Would you pray with me and then we'll hop into this madness. Father, thanks for the gift, the privilege to sit under your word, to be shaped by it, to be conformed to it, to be challenged and and built up, encouraged by your spirit through this book that points us to Jesus. As we've been exploring and journeying together, getting to know Jesus through the gospel of John, would you continue to allow us to do that today? And would you continue to, by your power and by your works and through your word, let us be a people who know you, who trust you, who treasure you above all things for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Television was, was a bit different when I was a kid, I think, uh, I remember daytime talk shows in the summer. I remember like just kind of the TV being on and maybe after the price is right, you would get all of these, these talk shows where there would be a man or a woman leading some people on a stage and it doesn't matter what they're talking about, but there would just, it would just be full of drama and tension and it's just the stuff that you just, you just can't turn off. You're just engaged and locked in, you know? Um, the, the, so, so like drama was the vibe, and as long as they've been having that type of show, there's this, this recurring theme, and that theme is, is paternity test. It, if, if they covered it once, they covered it 10,000 times, and that's true for, for Mari, and that's true for, for Montel, and that's true for Jerry, and that's true for Ricky. Um, you guys don't know this, Oprah wasn't always a billionaire. She was caught up in that stuff early on, and so it was just the drama of the talk show. Um, Geraldo, he wasn't always doing what he's doing now. 
He did some other stuff as well. Um, I, I, th- I think I remember seeing Geraldo get busted in the face with a chair like at my grandma's house. That's my, what my childhood was like. <clears throat> I remember all these things. And, and so every time there was this buildup and there was a story and maybe it was an absent father who, who wasn't there or one who was and, and they would show these comparisons and maybe a picture of the child and and the mom would be like, no, he, you know, he acts just like you. Like, you have to be the father. And it's like child support stuff. And the crowd would be like just, you know, it looks like him. It doesn't look like all these things. And all that, that tension culminated with a, a manila envelope and a bold declaration. The crowd was silent. The envelope was open. Lives hang in the balance and lots of other things. And these words would be read, you are not the father, or you are the father. And what would happen just right in those moments, just total chaos. Just, just people would just run off the stage, tears would flow, chairs would fly, noses would break, um, embarrassment, shame, all kinds of stuff. Spectacle. And, and just in, in thinking back, to that now, do you know who wasn't in, in focus of the producers of those shows? The children. Children were not in focus. And not only were they not on the stage, thankfully, for the most part, but, but they weren't even on the radar. They didn't know any better. The news was for the parents. It was not for the kids. And yet, in this passage that we look at today, the focus shifts. And what we're seeing in John is something actually very similar, although not for spectacle, but for some, some heart pressure and some heart transformation. There are different producers in this passage that we read in this scene. There are different seasons of life, but here the focus shifts to the kids' discovery. The parents already know who their kids are, but the kids are confused, and the shocker is not to the father or to the mother, but it's to the kids when they find out who their father really is. That's that is actually what's happening in this passage. Remember where we are in John. John is a gospel, one of four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that starts the New Testament. And that's the intro to Jesus. And so if you want to read about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and now like all of the Bible is about Jesus. It points us to him in some way. But these four books, and, and certainly John, as we've been uh, journeying through, this is our 21st week in John. We're just looking at the life of Jesus, and, and we're looking at a dialogue, and I listen to a lot of podcasts and, and some true crime podcasts, and some of those podcasts, they point to these, like, these other shows or these other podcasts that take 911 tapes, and they dissect them, and they, like, make, you know, man, it seems like the person's not really being very authentic here and all this stuff. And so that's basically what we're doing. We're dissecting a dialogue. Although we don't have the audio, we only have the words written on this page. We're teasing out a dialogue between Jesus and some recently professing Jews. These guys who say, we, we believe in you, Jesus. We believe that you were sent from the Father. And and it began like this, just a few verses before our focal passage, just what we talked about last week. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. So this conversation is Jesus going a little deeper and he's explaining a little wider and a little sharper what it means to, to 
to live a life in him, to live a life that is a, a true disciple, to be a legitimate child of God. This is what it looks like to sit at the table with God's family. And so he's, he's contrasting the life that these Jews are living with, with the full life that he offers them. And while they say they're following him, he proves that, that they're not. He proves that they're, they're not actually following him. This is actually a, a good note for modern churches who might do anything to gain a crowd or anything to dunk a person in baptism or, or anything to boast of numbers or influence or, or some shallow conversions at the expense of discipleship. Because Jesus, he ain't about that life. That's not what he does. He's not just telling people whatever they want to hear so that they might follow him. He's telling people what's true and he's seeing who will follow him. So he's concerned with their heart, with the core of who they are. He's concerned with them being made and matured and multiplying as disciples who are legitimate children of God, who live out that life. True children of God walk in the ways of God. This is the, the main idea that we're looking at today. True, true children of God walk in the ways of God. What we see here is that he's showing them life. He's showing them identity. He's showing them the activity of a legitimate child of God. Not so he knows. He already knows. But, but so they know who their dad really is. And what we see, and we're going to look at this in kind of three chunks, but legitimate children of God, the first thing they do is this, they reflect their father. And so we'll start, I'm actually going to start in verse 38, and then we'll pick up in verse 39. This is what we kind of ended with last week. He says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Remember, they're saying like, we're, we're children of God. And he's like, no, I, I am a son of God, and you're acting just like your dad. And they're like, Okay, so then he goes on, and, and, and he says, uh, they answered him, this is in verse 39, John 8, 39. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were born not of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God, which is just weird. But we'll get to that in a second. So just as a little bit of a preface, there is some heavy stuff. And even to this point, some like heavy language, like there's trigger warnings about. As I'm talking about this stuff, I'm mindful of that. And so I want you to know I'm making spiritual declarations, not not biological declarations, right? I'm, I'm connecting what's happening between these people and, and their legitimacy as children of God or not. I'm, I'm not making declarations about um, the life that we live here in flesh and blood. So, so maybe there are some similarities, but I'm not speculating on your own parental relationships. I just wanted you to know that. So here's what they say. They say, Abraham is our father. Like, what does that mean? And what... what 
what we know that means, if you know anything about the Bible, is, is, is Abraham was kind of like the, the beginning of God's people. God called Abraham to himself, and he said, follow me. And Abraham's like, okay. And it was like real messy, and it, it wasn't great, but Abraham proved himself to be faithful over time. And he did some stupid stuff, but he was God's guy. And, and out of Abraham's family grew God's people, a community, and out of that, a tribe, and out of that, a nation, and out of that, all the people of God. And so, so they know what they're doing, and, and they're Jews, and so they uphold Abraham and all of the Old Testament. So they're saying, we are children of Abraham. We are of the community of God. We are children of God. And Jesus agrees, fine, you're, you're physical descendants of Abraham, but, but he disputes their kind of automatic inheritance of the promises to Abraham on that basis alone. And, and one writer said it this way, behavior, not bloodline, determines who are truly children of Abraham. Now I know that makes, a little, makes uh, maybe some of us a little uncomfortable, what Jesus is saying is there's no chance. There's no chance you're nothing like Abraham. You're half the man your father was. You're, you're not living like, you claim that he is your father, but hear me, you're not reflecting his life. So, so it's a contrast, Abraham and who they claim uh, is, is their dad and the life that they're living. It, it's not adding up. It doesn't look the same. And so Jesus says, like very sharply, if you were children of Abraham, you would be doing the works of Abraham. So he's saying, like, no, your life doesn't hold water. What you're saying is not in accordance with what you're doing, with the life that you're living. Your word and your deed, <clears throat> it's not adding up. So what did Abraham, what were the works of Abraham? Well, they were many, but let me give you just two. Abraham Abraham trusted God. And if there's anything written of him in the scriptures, old and new, we see time and time again that Abraham trusted God. He is said to have been saved by his faith in God, not his works. In Genesis 15, there's this line, and it goes like this. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So it wasn't that he did anything, but that he, was, that he believed him. And that was given the credit to him. He trusted God completely. That same line is quoted in the New Testament in Romans, in Galatians, and in James. The, the same line. That he trusted God, that he believed God in order to, to, uh, to be saved by him. But it didn't stop there. In Hebrews 11, we read this. Abraham believed God. When he was called to go out to a place, and he went out not knowing where he was going. That's what trust looks like. He's basically blindfolded, and God says, just walk forward and follow me. And Abraham says, you got it. But where are we, but, but I need to, but how long is it going to take to, God said, follow me. And Abraham said, Yes. I will follow you. So we see that Abraham trusted God to, to, to save, and he trusted God to live. He trusted God. And, and the second thing is it's pretty basic. Abraham didn't oppose God's messenger. 
even when he didn't like the message. Or, or in other words, he, he didn't try to kill God's messenger even when he didn't like the message, which is, what, which is exactly what the Jews in this interaction with Jesus are doing. They're trying to kill Jesus. And he says that over and over again. And just a little spoiler, they will kill Jesus. So when, when we don't like something, we sometimes become defensive in, in what Abraham did. In fact, he was, he was tested in ways that few have been. And God didn't sacrifice your son. And Abraham said, so be it. And he took his son and he walked wherever God was leading him. And he was, he was going to do that. And he, and he was tested that way and he passed the test. And at the same time, God revealed his own nature to sacrifice for others, not sacrifice others for himself. And Abraham was, was willing to give up what cost him most to please God. But in the last minute, God spared him by giving up what cost him most. The Jews here, not, not so much. They don't like this message that's coming through the messenger Jesus and they want to kill him. So then, so there's, there's tension in this dialogue. Then the Jews take it up a level and this is almost crazy. Here's what they say to Jesus. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now, like, what does that mean? Nobody really knows, but the speculation is, is that it seems as if they are slandering Jesus by commenting about his human sonship. You know that scandal that happened when Jesus was born? Maybe you've heard of that. Like Mary and Joseph, they were engaged to be married, and suddenly Mary shows up pregnant, and people are like, wait. And she's like, I... <laughs> I promise, I've never been with a man. It turns out that it was the Lord himself through the virgin life of Mary that, that allowed Jesus to show up through her. These guys, like the lowest of blows. There's like, there is no line that they won't cross. And so they're saying, here's the thing, Jesus. We're actually legitimate. And, and further, you weren't even legitimate on earth, let alone to be a son of God himself. So Jesus has none of it, and he essentially just dismisses their claim, um, and he moves on. Legitimate children of God reflect the nature of God himself. That's what Jesus is saying. Abraham is a representative, but it's bigger than Abraham. Those who are in the family of God, those who are at the table of God. They put their dad on display. And what Jesus is saying is, is they reflect his nature and his character. And because they are his, they obey him. R.C. Sproul said this. He says, Jesus defines sonship not in terms of biology, but in terms of obedience. Now look, I mean, we are a grace community. And so when when words like that come out of my mouth, you might be like, oh gosh, so now we have to like do, now we have to keep all the rules, right? Well, let's, let's continue on. Maybe you've heard uh, Martin Luther say this, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We see that time and time again, that, that we legitimize our faith by the life that we live, right? And, and God is pretty consistent that those who call him Lord walk 
in his way and, and their word and their deed are aligned. They're not living as hypocrites saying one thing and living another way. They, they, they walk according to his word. So maybe in, in kind of freedom language, which is the way that this has been in the last chapter, uh, I've, I've been set free by the truth of Jesus. I'm no longer confined to my sin, to my selfishness, to my hard-heartedness, to my unkindness, to my disobedience. And yet, to continue on in those things is like a prisoner that's been set free to live a free man's life, and yet he continues to go to jail every day, and he walks past the guards. And he walks into the cell that he was once in, and he closes the door behind him, and he sits there. And he eats prison food, and he fights prison fights, and he sleeps on prison mattresses. That's what we do when we've been invited into the free life to walk in the ways of the Lord, to reflect our Father, and yet we continue to walk in sinfulness. We've been set free, and what Jesus told us is, if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. You're free to be his. You're free to be at the table of the family of God. You're free to lead you into. And because that's difficult, because that's a struggle, we must know him in order to reflect him. So we make God in our own image, which we're, we're really good at doing. Humanity is really good at doing that. We make God in our image rather than the flip of that. If we know him, that's the only way that we can reflect him to the world around us. So just some real quick things, some, some kind of regular rhythms to help us reflect God. One is we get to spend time with him. That's pretty basic. If you're trying to live as a legitimate child of God, and you, you, you have to know what he's inviting us into. You have to spend time with him to know what he lives like, to know what your dad looks like, to know how he behaves, to know how he handles situations. And so we get to sit under the word as often as we do, and we get to spend time with him praying as often as we do. We get to know him. We get to lean into him, not just here, that we have some theology of God, but that we actually know him intimately, that we walk with him, that we can call upon him when things are really good and when things are really bad, that we know where to go, that we know what he has said to us in all of those times and everywhere in between. The second thing is we're going to spend time with his people. One of the best ways to reflect God is to, to do so in community with others. And by God's grace, you all are, are just, I, I just love the way that you do that. Not just on Sundays, but the way that we live life together beyond this place. And I know that's difficult. But, but we get to spend time with him and we get to spend time with his people. And maybe even today you would come to a place to where you would just commit to obedience, to reflect him. Like I just forget, like I've been trying to do this for a long time, trying to walk with God for a long time, since I was 14 years old. And sometimes I just forget that, that maybe you haven't and maybe I haven't in a long time come to a place to where I say, you know what? God, I've been like living a loose life. I've kind of been doing whatever I want. Would you, would you let me commit to walking in the ways that you invite me? Would you let me reflect you like when no one's around, when it's just me and you, when I'm in a, a, a group of people, when I'm at work, when I'm doing whatever it is that I'm doing, would, would you let me be committed to follow you where you lead? 
And lastly, we get to make repentance and belief a pattern of life. What that means is, is if you're living to reflect God, our, our Father, you will fail to do that. Is, that. is that just me, maybe? You'll fail to do that. And when you do, you get to turn to him, not run from him, not feel bad about what, you get to turn to him and say, I, I made a shipwreck of my faith again. I did it again, Lord. But you, rich in mercy, you love me in spite of me. Would you let me behold you once again? Would you let me walk in your ways? That's the pattern of life. We get to repent and believe and repeat until one day we're glorified and we don't have to fight that wrestle anymore. So true children of God walk in the ways of God. They reflect God. And, and secondly, and this is just mind-melting, they love Jesus. It's crazy, isn't it? Let's read on, starting verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I come not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is, uh, he says, I'll tell you why. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Legitimate children of God, they love Jesus. If you were children of God, you would love me. It's pretty simple. It's, it's true children of God love Jesus. And that means that we must know him for who he is. What does it mean to love Jesus? My guess is if I, if I ask 100 people in this room, you would all tell me something different. What does it mean to love Jesus? Well, in just a few chapters, we actually kind of get to see a little bit. We, we know that Jesus was sent from God. It's what he tells us. He's not on his own, but he's on, on a mission to bring glory to his Father. And in John chapter 10, man, open your Bibles to, to John chapter 10, right? I just want to kind of walk through this for a couple minutes to figure out what it means to love Jesus, all right? John 10, starting in verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Bear much fruit, that just means you're, you're a healthy plant that's grafted into the vine, the family of God, and you're producing fruit that looks like God, right? By this, my Father is glorified that you bear fruit, and, and when you bear fruit, you prove that you are a legitimate child of God, that you're a genuine disciple, which is what all this conversation is about. And then he goes on, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And so we see that this love it comes from the Father to Jesus. And then he says, it, it goes to Jesus, to his people. And so he tells them, abide in my love. And remember last week we looked at that word abide. Continue on in my love. Receive the love of the Father and live the love of the Father. Continue on in that. And again, if you, how, how do I love Jesus? If you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. If you do what I tell you, you will produce the fruit that gives God what I tell you. 
And then, then he, he constantly sets himself aside as kind of the model for us to, to reflect, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've, I've done this. This is what I've come to do, and I'm inviting you to do the same thing. And then he says, uh, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So wait, you're telling me that if I'm a legitimate child of God that I, that I obey Jesus? You're telling me that doing that then is actually going to give, give me more joy than if I just did whatever it was that I wanted to do? That's what he's telling me. And so you, you might have, have heard these things and you said, ah, yes, to love Jesus. That means to do whatever I want and he's super loving and kind and he just joins me in that. But what he's saying is that's not, that's not the invitation. That's not what it looks like to love Jesus at all. Love me, obey me. That, that's how you demonstrate your love for me. And when you do that, my joy is full and my joy is in you and your joy may be full when you're walking in the ways that I am telling you. He goes on. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Oh, great, now I have to love other people. See, it's worse and worse. You're telling me that I have to, I, I have to prove my love to God by loving Jesus that means that I have to do what he wants, and now I have, to, I have to find my joy in that, and then now you're telling me I have to love other people as well. And he goes on, just as I have loved you. And then he tells us this thing that you've probably heard before, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. He's talking about himself. He says, you are my friends, but check this out. You are my friends if you do what I command you. If you think that grace liberates you from obedience, you've never met grace. Grace liberates you to obedience and to the fullness of life, and to the highest level of joy that we can have in this life because it only comes by the obedience of the only true legitimate son Jesus, you will fail. That's why he constantly points it back to himself. We know that Jesus isn't just a, a role model to show us how terrible we really are. He's not that. But when we tease all this out, what we find out is that it's actually his obedience that earns for us any obedience before the Lord. Obedience, then, is, is the way that we demonstrate our love for Jesus. Our love for him comes from his love to us. And that love is put on full display in his obedience to the Father, even his death on the cross to take the place of sinners like, like you and like me. That is the good news. That is what we call, that, that is part of the gospel, that Jesus obeys and he dies a sinner's death, and we disobey and we live as sons and daughters. The great exchange. So how do we love Jesus? Real quick, right? Just a summary of what we just looked at. We behold his love to us. We get to know the goodness of his finished work. We, we keep his commandments. 
we live in the fullness of joy and we love one another. Well, well how do I know if I'm a child of God? Well, well, do you love Jesus? You start there. What does it look like? What does your love for Jesus look like? Do you, do you behold his love to you? Even when you mess it up? Do you, do you keep his commands? Do you strive to walk in obedience? Do you strive to live out the life that, it's he, that he's invited you into? Do you find your joy in doing that? Do you, like, as David said, delight in the law? Not because it's chains, but because it's liberty. Do you love others? Or do you just spend your days loathing others? True children of God walk in the ways of God. And then he kind of finishes this little, this little section. Uh, right? He, he's, he's cleaning the roster of imposter faith. He's solidifying legitimate children and disciples. He's not doing that for him, but he's doing it for them. And, and then he says, why do you not understand what I say? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why you don't understand. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You, you can't even listen to the words that I'm telling you let alone humble yourselves to live them out. So, so that takes us to the last thing. Legitimate children live the way, the truth, and the life. Start reading in verse 44. It kind of gets real. He, he stops making these, your father and my father were not the same, and he just tells them what it is. He says, you are, uh, you are of your father, the devil. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. You're just like, turns out you're just like your father. And your father is literally Satan. That's a, that's a bit of a dagger. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of all lies. It's not the, well, it's not who I really am and like, oh, I, I had a bad day. No, that is exactly who you are. You lie because you're a liar. That's tough. And, and he goes on, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? And then he says this thing that's just so important. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. Man, he's like scraping the scales off of their eyes. And by, by his grace, I pray that he's, scape, that he's scraping the scales off of our eyes not only to see the world as he sees the world, but to see our own selves as he sees us. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. That's the anchor. But here's the thing. It's, it's not, the word hears is not just to like take in information. The, like it, we've talked about before, like, yeah, I hear you, mom. Take out the trash. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. No, you're not hearing me because you're not doing anything about it. You're just sitting there. You haven't heard anything. And what he's saying is, is that doesn't work. 
You can't only acknowledge and not do anything. So that word hears actually has several meanings, but they all point to the same thing. It's, it's in contrast to being deaf. Okay, so like legitimately, you're hearing, you know the words that I'm saying. It means to receive news. It means to pay attention to, to believe, and to respond. Okay, now we're getting to it. It means to obey, listen, and conform to what is heard. Because you're, you're not able to obey the words I'm telling you. Not able to respond to the words of God because you're not of God. You don't have, you don't have the ears to hear this. Not only is, is that the anchor, whoever is of God hears the words of God, but it's also a contrast. It's, it's the manila envelope reveal. You are not living according to the way and the truth and the life. That's the way of my father. That's the way I live. Here's the thing, guys. God is not your father. And, and maybe you're drawn to another notable scene in a movie where something like this happens. I'm not about that spoiler life, but this happened in 1980. So like if you haven't seen this, that's on you, all right? And so what we have is, is the dark side villain. It goes by the name of Darth Vader to young Luke Skywalker. And he says this, he says, uh, Luke, he's been training to be a, a Jedi, like a, a good guy. Um, and, and Darth Vader, he's not really a, a good guy. He's on the dark side. So he says, Luke, don't make me destroy you. Right? There's lightsabers and it's epic or whatever. Don't make me destroy you. You don't yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me. It sounds terrible because it's not, you know, like, but I'm, I'm hearing it now for the first time. I'm like, gosh, this is... Um, Join me and I will com complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. What a relief, said Satan, right? <laughs> and then this is Luke. He says, I'll never join you, right? And it's real heroic and nervous. And he says, if you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan, who had been training Luke for some time, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. And he said, trembling, he told me enough. He told me you killed him. That's not what happened. Luke didn't know it. Darth Vader says, no, I am your father. It's literally the same thing that's happening in this scene. You thought that you were a child of light. Turns out you're a child of, of darkness. And Jesus is cutting them like a lightsaber to the heart, saying, no, you, you are not a child of God. You are of the devil. And Luke says, no, no, that, that's not true. That's impossible. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. No! Luke, you can destroy the emperor. He has foreseen this. It is your destiny. Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son. That's almost, I mean, it's kind of comical. Literally. Satan saying, join me, it's your destiny. 
Let us rule and reign together. We can overthrow any rebellion. We can overthrow any emperor. That's what we were meant to do, you and me. Come with me, it's the only way. And Luke found the only other way. He just jumped into a big hole. And he got away. He did lose a limb in the fight. But, <clears throat> see, George Lucas is acclaimed for, for Star Wars, but, but he just tears pages out of the script of, of Jesus. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What does it look like to walk in the way of the devil? He's a murderer. From the beginning, he's a murderer. Think Cain and Abel in the early pages of scripture. Think he's, there's no truth in him. He's a liar. That's what, what he did to dupe Adam and Eve to say, God is surely not for you. He's holding back from you. Yeah, you know, maybe he is. He's a liar from the beginning. He's a murderer. You can't hear and you can't walk in the way of truth because you are not of God. You, you've not been given eyes to see. You've not been given ears to hear. Conviction to lead and to live a life that honors God because he isn't your father as you claim he is. Here's a question. Is it possible that some of you are unable to walk in the ways of God because he's not your father? Like you thought, and like, but I showed up like most of the weeks, and like I know how to pray. Whenever somebody asks me to pray for a meal, I can do that. And like, I know like mostly what it means to live a Christian life. But but maybe, just maybe, you, you've never come to the place where you'd call him dad. See, true children of God, they walk in the ways of God. And we see here legitimate children reflect their father and they love Jesus and they live the way and the truth and the life. And, and, and we, hear the, we hear these things and, and maybe you're saying one of two things, but I'm not a murderer, so I must be a child of God. I've never murdered anyone. Just look at my neighbor. That's a bad dude. I'm not a bad dude. You don't know my ex. They're a bad person. Me, I'm a good person. I've never, I've never even wanted to murder anyone. I have no speeding tickets. I'm a good dude. I must be a child of God. Or maybe on the flip, you're saying, I'm a child of the devil. That is my destiny. What hope is there for me? And, and both of those find their only hope in greater truths. Two truths. One is this. We are all born into sin. In that sense, you're, you're, not, you're not born sons and daughters of God. Well, how can that be? Because everyone says, everyone's a child of God. Like, he just loves liberally, right? That's, that's not how it works. We're all born into sin, children of wrath, born into darkness, enemies of God, rebels. Just because you aren't a murderer in, in the, the killing sense doesn't mean you are clean, See, here's the thing. We think that there are three types of people. There are God's people, and there are the devil's people, and then there's this neutral ground. That's a lie. There's not a neutral ground. There's not, there's not a third way. 
There are two options. One uh, preacher says it this way. Those who are with him are fully committed to the true gospel as revealed in Scripture. And those who are against him come in endless religious forms. There are two types of kids. Jesus says that if you hate, then you're murderers. He says that if you lust, then you're an adulterer. He says if we break God's law and disobey in one area, then we are lawbreakers. He says if we, if we practice sin, then we are slaves to sin. And that's all of us, every single one of us. We are all born into sin, but that's not the end. We don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. So what if Darth Vader is Luke's dad? That doesn't mean he has to overtake the galaxy and rule with the devil. That doesn't mean that's the life that he has. To, that's not his destiny. That's a lie. And why would that be the lie? Because it's coming from the father of lies. He can join the family uh, of Jedis, or, or for us, we can join the family of God and defend the galaxy from evil. Jesus, he stepped over into the dark side, not contributing to, but taking its rebellion upon himself, and he laid down his life so that we might be children of light, so that we might, by our faith and our trust in him alone, be legitimate children of God, invited in to live for God's glory, to live out of the love that he has for us, to sit at the table, to obey him, to find our fullest joy in our obedience to pleasing him out of the overflow of his love for us, and that we would even love others. It doesn't matter who you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who your father is for good or bad. Today, all you have to do to walk in the way and the truth and the life is to behold these words of Jesus, to trust that he has made a way for you to receive the forgiveness of the Father and let the Spirit guide you to obedience and new life through the obedience and the life of Jesus himself. That's good news. Jesus is the legitimate child who makes a way for us to be children of God who walk in the ways of God. The band can come on up. We get to take a few minutes and, and reflect and repent and respond. And so we have some questions on there to kind of help guide that time. You can stand up where you are and sing. You can sit down and pray. There's a prayer bench over there. There's a red tree back there where someone would love to pray with you. And if you are in Christ, we get to let this word conform us and shape us to, to, to cut the, the rough edges of our life off in the way that we're not walking in obedience. We get to reflect and we get to confess, and as we do, we get to take communion, and we get to remember and declare that, that Jesus is enough, and he's the one that makes us legitimate. He's the one that obeyed perfectly so that we might live in his life. And so we get to do that by taking of the bread and the cup, remembering his body that was broken and his blood that was spilled for us. Would you pray with me? Father, <clears throat> what a gift to see your word come to life would you let it shape us? And would you let it not condemn us? Spirit, I pray that there's not, not anyone in this room that feels worse or feels hopeless because 
of these words, but that we might be refined, that we might know better our, our own life, our own destiny, and that we might turn to you, knowing that you've been there all along, that you are for us. Thank you for being a good dad. Would you lead your children? Would you let us live lives that, that put you on display? In Jesus' name, amen.